Have you heard? 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 Our elementary school students are happy. Our middle school students are inspired. Our high school students are confident. Because we go beyond education, Odyssey is for life. Odyssey Charter Schools. We teach. We lead. We believe. I'm Jennifer Berkshire. And I'm Jack Schneider. And what you just heard is something that is increasingly common these days, a little snippet of school marketing. You know, Jack, we're so used to hearing about how our schools should function as a marketplace that we never really thought about how one of the, I'll, I'll go ahead and say it, one of the noxious byproducts of a marketplace is marketing. Marketing is, is definitely something that comes uh, with consumption and particularly when uh, consumers are tasked with uh, figuring out what works for them or what they want or what they should want, uh, and particularly when the uh, company or firm that is providing them with this service or product uh, is not necessarily regulated in terms of what they say about the service that they're providing or the product that they're making. Well, that's a really good point because I thought that I might start this episode with a little quiz and ask you if you could identify for us some of the differences between school marketing and, say, the commercials that you watch on TV at night. I don't um, watch TV at night. Um, well, I watch it. I'm a professor. I watch it all day long. Oh, that's right. That's right. So you know how you often find yourself watching a drug commercial and thinking to yourself... Sure, during Oprah. Maybe I should ask my doctor about Extruda. Yeah, that's right. And the side effect. That is gigantic eyeball. What What are some of the differences between marketing a school and, say, marketing a product like a drug or a dishwasher? I think it's a really interesting question. So I would say that the first very basic difference and really essential difference is that schools are not just private goods, right? So uh, a, a pharmaceutical product is a private good basically by definition. It is something that is going to cure me and my unique problem uh, with whatever it is that Extruda is going to solve. It sounds... This is a family show, so I'm not going to go into detail on that particular Right, question. that sounds sad for me. Um, so in schooling, uh, certainly there is a private good aspect to it, but schooling is also a public good. It's something that benefits our society our neighborhoods, our communities. It benefits the most advantaged, but it also benefits the least advantaged, at least theoretically. Um, and so when we are acting as consumers, we're only acting uh, in alignment with the private good aspect of education. So think, for instance, buying an alarm for your house versus trying to cultivate safer cities or safer neighborhoods. Right? Whereas one of those is an inherently private good, the alarm is only going to protect me and my family. Uh, the public good is going to benefit everybody in the community. Um, and, and that's not something that I can promote via shopping. So that's the first basic difference. Um, I would say that the next basic difference is that there are vulnerabilities to marketing that are pretty particular in education. So one of them is that 
the quality of a school is a, a really multifaceted uh, thing. So regular listeners of our show will know that this is something of a of a passion for you. A real passion of mine. Um, and finally, I would just say that there are, are all of these factors that make people inert consumers once they've chosen. Um, we still have the fact that consumers may not be as alert and ready to switch products as, say, the consumers of breakfast cereal. Uh, so you take that first bite of Apple Jacks, is it? My, uh, my, my favorite from childhood. The breakfast of champions, the breakfast of podcasters, apparently. So you take that first bite of Apple Jacks, uh, and, and you're in heaven, and you convince me uh, and so this isn't marketing, uh, but it's close cousin, word of mouth. You convince me to try Apple Jacks, and I take a bite, and I realize that they're foul and noxious. And I then uh, have a task ahead of me, and that is simply to drop the Apple Jacks in the garbage, lose my $3 investment, and go to the store. I've and got, buy some Frankenberry. And buy some, uh, some Cocoa Crisp. Uh, and so I have immediately gotten feedback in a way that you can't get in schools. Uh, this is another vulnerability to marketing. I've gotten immediate feedback. I've been able to switch instantaneously, uh, which you can't do in schools unless you're ready to begin pulling your kid out of school each week and finding a new school to take him or her. Um, and never mind the, the difficulties with regard to transportation or the fact that your child may have developed feelings of attachment to teachers or other students. Uh, none of this applies to Frankenberry or Cocoa Crisp or Apple Jacks. Uh, and so all of this makes marketing, uh, when we're talking about schools, just a much more complicated and uh, potentially swampy enterprise. Well, I so appreciate your thoughtful explanation of the differences. I, of course, had two very, uh, two much more obvious differences in mind. And the that first you, is that something you thought of while you were having your bowl of apple jacks. This that's morning. correct. The first is something that you mentioned right off the bat, which is this idea that there really is no one. We have no entity that evaluates the claims being made in school marketing. And this this was made uh, evident over the summer in kind of a dramatic way. If you remember that our now President Trump went to visit a charter school in Cleveland, and a lot of commentators pointed out that by the state's measures, the school was failing. But if you went uh, to the school website, which is a form of marketing, it advertised itself as a top-rated charter school and an award-winning school. The other obvious difference is just that the customer base is limited for schools in a way that it isn't for companies, right? That you have a finite number of kids and that's, you know, that means that when you're you're heavily marketing, those kids are ha- going to have to come from somewhere. Well, overall though, I thought you did a great job on the quiz and in all the excitement, I almost forgot that we have an expert standing by and uh, we should probably get her on the phone just as soon as we pause for this quick commercial break. I am the class of 2032. I am the class of 2030. I am the class of 2031. And I'm six years old and I'm the class of 2031. I think what success has really accomplished in the past 10 years has been becoming the proof point uh, in American public education of what is possible. I've been with the network five years and I still get excited when I see kids I don't know wearing Success Academy backpacks. I just love that a model that I have been a part of is touching lives uh, and enriching lives of young people across the city uh, in ways that I can't even really imagine. Welcome back. We're joined now by a special guest. Sarah Butler Jessen is a visiting assistant professor at Bowdoin College and she studies school marketing. 
Um, Sarah, before we got you on the line, I played an ad from Success Academy, and I picked it because Success is a very high-profile New York charter network, but also because I learned from your research that Success markets in a way that's actually pretty typical of a large company, meaning that they spend a lot of money. Success Academy has sort of been one of the leaders, the brand leaders, in terms of developing their marketing model. Um, and they've been uh, a lot of, they're very advanced in terms of their uniformity and their branding across social media as well. They they use all types of social media um, and are very highly branded. So they have YouTube channel, all that they manage, and they have professionally developed videos, and they have Twitter account. They even have an Instagram account, which is sort of one step further than um, most of uh, the larger CMOs or even educational organizations that we've seen. Um, and there's been a lot of sort of talk um, about how much money they spend. Um, and so we were able to look at some of their budgets from the 2012-2013 year, uh, along with a bunch of other uh, charter managements and charter organizations in New York City that were authorized by SUNY. And again, sort of like we had raised in this an earlier article about the 2010 data, they're spending upwards... In Williamsburg and Cobble Hill in particular in that year, they're spending more than $1,000 per entered student on marketing alone. Um, it actually ends up being, if you look at their budget, um, the second after salaries, the second highest allotment um, that they're, uh, for, uh, on their budget. So it's, it's clearly a high priority for the organization. I'm wondering how uneven the marketing playing field here is because two questions yeah. jump to mind for me. One is yeah. the question of who markets, and of course, you know, yeah. traditional public schools are much less likely to be marketing because there simply aren't those incentives yeah. for them to be engaged in that practice. There's also not a thousand dollars a kid extra to spend on marketing, <laughs> right. right? Well, so then the the second question there is related to that, and that's the question of who has the budget to do this. And it seems yeah. to me like even even independently operated charters, uh, but even charters would be. Uh, at a sort of disadvantage here relative to, yeah. uh, for our non-insider acronym-knowing listeners, CMOs, so charter management right. organizations, um, right. that CMOs uh, like Success Academy or KIPP or any of the other uh, brand uh, branded charters um, would be much more likely to have the capacity to engage yeah. in a really robust marketing campaign because of uh, the CMO structure. And so I'm wondering if you could speak to the degree sure. to which this marketing playing field uh, is level or not. We looked at the different types of schools and how, and we included actually private institutions in our analysis, um, you know, just traditional private schools in our analysis. We compared the way that they were using um, social media, in particular YouTube and Facebook and Twitter, and then also their websites because these become sort of the major touch points for our marketing campaigns these days. And what we found actually surprised uh, us, um, this is Catherine Martino and I, um, as part of the book that we're writing, um, was that the, the charter management organizations were just way ahead in terms of the execution of these marketing campaigns and the branded identities, even more so than the private schools. I want to stick with Success Academy for just a, a little bit longer. They recently announced that that some 20,000 students had applied for roughly 3,200 available spots. 
And I thought your research was really interesting about how the combination of their intense marketing and and the the level of demand itself is part of their brand. Can you talk a little bit about that? So we've actually been drawing on literature from the business sector uh, because there's there's a base about marketing and advertising that already exists there. And we figure if we're in this sort of world, we should be drawing on these this research. And we found this great study by Ackerman from 2011 um, that shows that in- investing in marketing campaigns and creating demand People, un- people interpret these types of investments and this high demand, and they perceive it as, oh, this must be a quality product, right? So that's something that we see in the private sector where people um, perceive quality based on investments in these marketing campaigns and sort of demand that results from that, that there must be high competition for these this product, and therefore it must be of quality. So that's how we perceive um you know, advertising campaigns. And the same is true, we argue, for um, schools and in that investing in marketing and creating demand translates to perceptions of quality. Sarah, I just wanted to jump in here and make one observation since we're talking about perceptions of quality. And that's that yes. uh, every year, the Phi Delta Kappen uh, survey that uh, gauges the perceptions of Americans about public schooling finds that perceptions of charter schools uh, tend to be much higher among all Americans. Uh, Mm -hmm. And so this is not a measure of the satisfaction of those sending their children to these schools. This is among all Americans. The perceptions of charter schools are much more positive than perceptions of traditional public schools. And perceptions of charter schools are basically in line with perceptions of private schools. And it seems to me Mm -hmm. like... This is given the fact that you know most people have not actually set foot inside one, much less all of the nation's charter schools or private schools. Uh, this seems to me to be an indication of some of the influence of the successful branding that uh, yes. charter schools and private schools are engaged in. Um, I would definitely say that that's true. I think that part of the message and part of the marketing message also includes public relations and sort of getting the word out via media. So we hear a lot of stories. Um, there's a lot of stuff on social media these days. You know, if if you're at all interested in education and you're following, you hear stories in the news that, um, and uh, about these organizations and often the message itself is shaped by the organization and that is a piece of, you know, the overall picture becomes a piece of the brand and that the organization is building for itself. I mean, that is how you build a strong brand is to create the message and around that image so that people immediately think, oh, Kip, that's great. You know, kind of like you respond to anything like Coke or <laughs> or all those other brands, like Nike, right? You know that brand. Um, they want to create that message, and part of that is um, getting out mass words. People have these public perceptions about um, what it means to be a KIPP school, and maintaining that is really, really critical for them. I want to share another quick little bit of audio. This comes from the KIPP website. It's from their brand center, and, and here they lay out what they call their brand guidelines. Let's take a listen. Welcome to the KIPP brand guidelines video. 
This is the guide to Kip's brand for anyone in the Kip team and family. You're watching this because you chose to come to Kip. Do you remember why? Do you remember the associations you had with Kip even before you got here? These associations are all part of the Kip brand, and that's what a brand is, a set of associations you have with a given organization or product. Ultimately, a brand is a promise that we make to everyone in the team and family. Kipsters, families, teachers, staff, community members, board members, funders, and supporters. The promise tells people, this is what you can expect from us. So as you could hear in that message that's, that's on the KIPP website, they see their brand as, as far larger than just being about a school, the students who attend yeah. it, and the parents who choose to send their kids there. Yeah. There's really, there's yeah. an, an entire universe, and they seem to have an expectation of brand fidelity. Yes. They do. Um, they have one of the. They're one of the brand. They are the brand leader. Let me just say that. But Kip is really the brand leader in terms of uh, that consistent message and that sort of national um, marketing and branding. Um, they invested quite a while ago in developing the brand and have a five-person marketing team at the organization. At least a five-person. I haven't checked recently, but. Um, their marketing and their branding isn't just for, as you say, for students and parents. In fact, I think there's a moment when when they're going through it and they say, this is to help us find talent, meaning teachers and potential funders. So we're marketing not to, on a national level. We're not really marketing to students and parents. We're really marketing to potential teacher recruits and to funders of the organization. So the marketing and branding and the quality of brand becomes cyclical um, in that, you know, they invest in the quality of the brand and the marketing, and then they get more investors, which will then allow them to continue to invest and build this brand and marketing. That's, that's the idea. So there's, it's all, it's the way to survive in the market. I mean, that becomes part of the market survival strategy. Earlier, we heard a commercial from Success Academy that featured elementary school students announcing the year that they would be graduating from college. And I think a lot of people would hear that and think, well, what, you know, what could possibly be wrong with that? It's aspirational. It's inspirational. I'm curious about what, what concerns you as a researcher about something like that. I am a huge fan of holding high standards, but I think that it when you only have elementary schools and you have your kids being part of this, you know, on the class of this, um, it becomes to feels more like a starts to feel more like a marketing gimmick, right? Mm-hmm. Than than something that that you totally know is the case. Um, and to me, this gets back to another issue about school marketing, and that is many of these things. And this is sort of the, the the tricky thing to figure out is many of these things feel like promises, right? And so Kip says in their video, our brand is our promise, right? Mm-hmm. And the question to, do, to the degree to which these are delivered upon is really important. And it, it, it speaks to this lack of regulation that's going on right now. Um, in the private sector, advertising, marketing is very heavily regulated. You can't say, if you're a food product, you can't say, we're 100% organic unless you really are. And then you know, you'll go you to Harvard to, if you eat us. That's right. You can't. <laughs> so the questions, I have questions about the degree to which that we should be able to say those kinds of things and make those promises. I think that it's a fine line between holding these high expectations and making it a promise of something that, you know, 
may just be a piece to get more applicants, right? And, and that is, and this lack of regulation then gets into this tricky, this would, would, is, is tricky. It gets into a tricky business about this industry of marketing and advertising is blowing up and it's way ahead of any sort of regulation. And information is really, really important. Information is critical for these market-like structures in education. If we're going to continue forward with having school choice, it's going to be really critical. But um, there's just a lack of regulation that we're drawing on the private sector in terms of its model of how to market and how to brand, but we're not regulating it in the way that the private sector regulates it. We, when Jack and I started out this this episode, we we talked a little bit about how one of the key differences between marketing for a company and marketing it is for a school is that as a company, you're after increased revenue and you're after exactly. you're after market share, you're after customers, and uh, for a school, you're after parents and students. And in most communities, your potential customer base is you know the 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 aggregate customer base is limited. Right, there are only a certain number of students, yes. and I'm thinking about the time that I just spent in Detroit, which has um, has too many schools and uh, totally yeah. unregulated a marketplace and marketing that's unregulated, and right. so you see marketing used to poach students um, constantly, yeah. and so they'll do these things like um, uh, if you come to our school, we'll give you a laptop, or we'll and yeah. and and lower level stuff too. We'll give you a pair of shoes. And it just, it seemed like the very worst, like just as we talk a lot about the dangers of an unregulated education marketplace, you could really see the sort of worst kind of predatory marketing. Yes. Yeah. And that's, that's one of the questions. I mean, there are all kinds of questions about how markets really work in public education. It's, it's, when you really start to peel back the layers, it's a very different type of system than the private sector. We require our students to go to school. Um, we don't require everybody to own an iPad, right? So it's it's very different type of, of system in which the market structures are now embedded. Um, and, you know, as one of my students said the other day, we were talking about this, she said, well, some everybody has to go somewhere. So in a system, a market-based system, you know, marketing becomes key to this competition when you have to get everybody sort of sorted into their, into their schools. And yeah, without any sort of regulation, you know, I mean, it's open to things like, I promise you, a pair of shoes, uh, because that's, I mean, there are, there are gimmicks, but then it gets back to this larger question of what are we spending our budget on? Are we spending it on shoes? Right? <laughs> or um, are we spending it on teachers and support systems for students? I mean, that's that's where we start to go. The more you invest in marketing to in order to compete, the presumably the more money is not spent on pedagogical or services, pedagogical innovations or services. And that was really the intention to a degree of implementing markets in the markets in the first place was for pedagogical innovations to occur or organizational changes to occur. It wasn't to spur marketing, but that's really what we're seeing um, is marketing is exploding instead. So I 
will confess that, you know, I, I'm sort of obsessed with the unintended consequences of education reform. And this seems like such a huge one, right? That this this um, education education marketing is just exploding. And in fact, when I spoke with Sarah and her colleague Catherine last summer um, for something else I was working on, they said there's actually a burgeoning field of education marketing consultants who help schools navigate this thicket and think about what their message is, what their brand is, and who they want to aim it at. One of the things that came out of our conversation was uh, some regulation around the kinds of messages that can be spent. And I would say also some regulation around how much uh, spending can happen, at least with regard to public dollars. Uh, We know that our Supreme Court will continue to view money as voice, uh, whatever the inherent problems uh, with that. But with regard to expenditures uh, that are being made by institutions that are receiving public funding, so this would be traditional public schools and charter schools, um, and possibly in some states, uh, private schools that are receiving uh, public tax dollars. Um, So we may see the development of regulations around how much per pupil can be spent uh, on marketing. Because of course... This is a zero-sum game. Every dollar that is spent on marketing is not spent on the children themselves, unlike, let's say, cereal, where uh, an expanded uh, marketing program can lead to an expanded customer base, which then actually pays for the marketing. Uh, One of the things that, again, came out of this conversation today is because of the nature of schools, that isn't going to happen. Uh, There are a fixed number of seats. And so ultimately we have this question of how do we keep uh, these worst abuses from happening without, let's say, clamping down on free speech or denying people access to information, which though it may be uh, of inconsistent quality, does have the potential to be of high quality. Well, I think it's only appropriate to send off this episode with a final ad, and I, I picked a I picked a good one. This is uh, for a K twelve virtual school, and um, I have a feeling that Jack is going to be so moved by this ad that that he's probably going to enroll. I'll enroll somebody in it. We'll check in next episode to see who's signed up. Until next episode, I'm Jennifer Berkshire. And I'm Jack Schneider. And this is Have You Heard. Do you want your children to obtain the highest quality education with the latest technology and curriculum? Do you want to be more involved in what your children are learning and attend exciting school field trips? Then PA Virtual Charter School is right for you.